0: Father, we thank you for tonight that you got us here. Pray for those who are still on the way, some who have been unable to make it. Thank you for this spring season and all that we have learned uh, through you and and drawn closer to you and to each other. Uh, Just a wonderful uh, way to break the week up, to meet in the middle from Sunday to Sunday, and to pause at midweek to to just grow personally closer to you and and to our brothers and sisters. So be with us now uh, for our final installment tonight, and we thank you in advance for what you will continue to do both in and through us. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Okay, so if you have been with us from the beginning, you will remember what we talked about—that this is not a, a program—and I know it's hard to to kind of—we're used to having a program that has a just a fixed set of questions and answers and, and ways to to a formula to walk through. It, it just evangelism doesn't really work that way today. It's 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 different. So I don't want you to think that. Okay, we've come to the end, and, and now we're there. You'll see some things tonight that we talk about that kind of tie things up, and you'll go, oh, boy, that just opens up even more questions. And that's the whole that's the whole goal, is that we could continue to ask questions that matter to be able to engage the culture and hopefully be able to get to a, a spiritual conversation about Jesus. So we'll look at a few more things you went through it in a very difficult way one week at a time. This will be done in a two and a half hour workshop with a break somewhere in the middle, and most of your questions will be answered as we run through it that way. It's difficult this way, so you had a lot of questions each week, and what about this, or what about that, and then maybe the next week or the week later, the answer kind of came up. So The formula that we have given you using your hands, and we'll see it again, is just for you to be anchored into what we call a story that makes sense out of the world that we live in. So it's called the the biblical worldview. We have a view of the world that that we believe makes the most sense. Of all of the different worldviews, we believe ours is the most coherent makes the most sense. So that's the goal of that. So we're going to tighten that goal up here now as we come to the end. We're going to tighten the goal up of you having a framework of being able to enter into conversation with this meta-narrative. Remember, most of the people that you will speak to in this cultural context do not have a meta, meaning large narrative story. They don't have an overarching story for things. They don't believe there is one. They don't believe that one exists. Well, the goal is to make sure that you have it anchored into your mind and into your heart. And the the stronger that's anchored in for you, then the easier it is for you to navigate in the conversation. That's why there really is no specific formula. You can't go running around town going like this. You can't do that. That's for you to be anchored in. But the goal is to be able to get at some point to a spiritual conversation. So we're going to go back to the hand motions. And we're going to run through the, an additional way of framing the meta meta-narrative, the, the story in the Bible. And I use four C's for it. You're probably very familiar with creation, fall, redemption, consummation. You probably have heard that. Well, I put it in four C's. Makes it easy to remember. So ready? We're going to launch. Here we go. The next 20 minutes then you go in your groups and we're done. Thumb up, all good. All good is what? That's the creation portion of your story. That is probably one of the best places to to begin. For many. Again, it depends on who you're speaking to. But you start in a place where everything was good. That's pretty comfortable in conversation. Things were good. There were no storms and tsunamis and hurricanes. It was just, it, it, everything was good. So that's the creation story. And, and that helps you get enough, that, that's thumb up, all good. You're going back. See, you're not confining your evangelism to a sinner in need of a savior. You're taking your approach all the way back to the beginning, and you have to today. You could run into somebody who's ready for a sinner in need of a savior, but under 35 you're not going to run into many of them and with each passing year we get further and further away from that So, because there's no definition for sin the, the, the millennial has no definition for it, there's no context of it they have a little bit sometimes of an understanding of maybe shame and guilt but, but sin what is that? so all good creation, all bad corruption that's the fall so there's your second C that gives you what? It gives you a coherent explanation for why there's all this bad stuff in the world. And it even allows you to answer the questions that no other worldview can answer. The brokenness in creation. Why is creation messed up? If man sinned, well, man was responsible for what? The cultural caretaker, creation. He was to care for for the creation. You were to care for... Everything that God had given, the borders of their lives was to expand to the boundaries of God's kingdom. They fell. Everything fell with them. So now we see this mess. So we have creation. We have corruption. That's for you. Now we have Christ. That's the all paid. Our goal is to get to this, but it may take you a half a dozen conversations. It may take you a half a dozen weeks or months or who knows how long. You just have to be able to be flexible in understanding who your audience is and how you're speaking to them. But we have a creation that was all good, corruption, everything went bad, all paid, that's Christ. That's the answer to the, to the overarching questions that every human heart has. It's the solution to the problem of every human heart whether it's acknowledged or not the need for forgiveness and then you have consummation let's pray everything and you can picture it this way forget the aspect of the prayers it's just anchoring you in both hands come together consummation of the kingdom everything then is what? we're back to shalom everything is right everything the lion will lie down with the uh, right you're going to see that this weekend when we do our, our, our Palm Sunday message. When Jesus, I'll give you a little little, little insight before you even get here. Next. Jesus rides, rides in on, that, on that, that donkey, but it wasn't just a donkey. What was it? It was a, a colt, a foal. So it was an unbroken, unridden, untrained animal. Put Jesus on that in the context of a triumphal entry with thousands and thousands of people lining the streets, waving palm branches and laying their cloaks on the ground and shouting, Hosanna. What should that unbroken animal have done? Freaked out. But it doesn't. Why? It knows its master. And Jesus gives us a glimpse of the coming consummation when shalom will rule the entire universe. It's a powerful... I got that one from D.A. Carson. It's a powerful picture of what God is up to. So we have this consummation. Everything is coming back together whole. It'll all be made well. Okay? Let's keep moving. Blaise Pascal, 17th century French mathematician and physicist. He had a dramatic Christian conversion. If you're not familiar with it, you, you, you ought to spend a little time looking him up. He assembled a bunch of notes and writings over the years that he hoped would be a book called The Defense of the Christian Religion. But he died two months after his 39th birthday, and the book was never published. But what was published were all of these notes and these fragments in a work that you're probably familiar with, the Ponces." That means thoughts. That word means thoughts. So these are, these are pieces of his thinking and writings over the very short life that he had. And this comes out of it. This is probably one of the most profound statements in all of his works as it relates to evangelism. Okay, Men despise religion. They hate it and are afraid it may be true. The cure for this is first to show that religion is not contrary to reason. We have a reasonable faith. But worthy of reverence and respect. Next, make it attractive. And here's the key line. Make good men wish it were true. And then show that it is. Now, there's a lot to unpack. And if you're super reformed, you're probably offended by a line up there. And and I'm going to pray for you. Make it attractive, right? Some people who are super reformed just are troubled by that. You shouldn't be. You understand his point. I'll ask you the question, okay? God is attractive, right? right? But here's a legitimate question. How attractive do you make God to the people who watch you, live with you, work with you? How attractive? Is that a legitimate question? You bet it is. He's spot on in what he was writing. He understood the heart of man all men make it attractive make good men wish it were true and then show them that it is you know why so many are turned off to christianity christians and i'm not sure they're christians but those who profess faith in christ who has any interest in that often you hear people say you know what i love jesus i love the christ i just can't stand those stinking christians why? We make God so unattractive. So he so to break this down in just two points, very simple, and again, you don't need to be a scholar. Share, number one, share a reasonable faith. What's a reasonable faith? All good, all bad, all paid. Let's got it? Okay, you got it? Creation, corruption, Christ, consummation. Got it? Okay, that's a reasonable faith. You have opportunities to share. You share that reasonable faith. It makes sense out of the world. that we. It's reasonable. It's coherent. It answers the big questions. And then he says, make it attractive. What is that? That's service. That's a cross-shaped life. You can't just go running around trying to get people converted. You've got to serve them and minister to them. You tell somebody who's thirsty, fare ye well, God loves you, and you do nothing to slake the thirst. We've missed an opportunity to make Christianity attractive. The gospel meets physical needs, yes? Now nod your heads. You have to be meeting physical needs. Does it only meet physical needs? No. Is the physical need the most important need? No. But is it important? Yes. The gospel meets spiritual needs. And if you could only meet one, yes, that would be the one. But the way the world works today, it's unlikely you're only going to get one shot. And you're not going to run into them. This takes time. One of the best ways to keep a door open is to meet a physical need. And, and, and I'm looking at many, and you know what that means how many of you in this room meet and needs you know who you are that makes god attractive so that's pascal you have to know the culture you got to know their hopes and their fears and their dreams you got to know their passions you got to know what keeps them up late at night it's not hard why we're all the same we just have jesus so it's not like you have to go on some 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 supernatural treasure hunt to try to figure out what's going. You know what's going on out there because it's going on in your own heart. And all we need to do is connect at a heart level with these people. So the question is, how attractive? Make it so attractive that good men will want it to be true, and then show them it is because we do believe it to be true. Yes. Okay. That's Pascal. Now I'm gonna. Now listen. That's why I said this isn't a program. So you're going to come out of here tonight you're going to get in your group. You're going to go home and you're going to go, man, why didn't he say this? Why didn't he say that? Why didn't he bring this one up? I've got a thousand questions. You can you keep coming to me all you want and keep asking. I'm only going to give you one scenario. That's all I can do. We've tried to break a few things down as we've gone along, but here's a scenario for you. This is a skeptic who is being answered. We, we together are going to answer a skeptic. Ready? Here's a very common skeptical question. How can a loving God send people to hell? That is legit. So, what do you first have to do? See the first C? I try to put it in words that I can remember. You have to connect with them. Remember back in the process, further back, feel, felt, found? I feel the way you feel. I felt that way. Here's what I found. How can a loving God send people to hell? Connect. Yes, hell sounds as unfair as it is unloving for a God of love. Do you agree with that? That's a great response. Now what's just happened? We've connected at the deepest possible level. Whoa, and you're a Christian? Yeah, it sounds unfair and unloving that people are going to hell. I'm with you. You can't stop there. You go from connecting to challenge. So what's the challenge for this one? You put it back on them. Where is your evidence for a loving God? Stay there for a moment. Remember, listen, you're, you're, try, you're trying to get people to a place of deep communication and under, unpacking what it is that they think they believe. You have to get them to a place. The, the atheist, unbelieving skeptic, when something bad happens, cries out, says, how could a loving God do this? You don't even believe in God. What kind of a dumb statement is that? And where in the world did you get a concept of a God of love? You're able to bring it back to them. So where is your evidence for a loving God? Okay, go. Watch this. Here's here's the continuing challenge. In Greek mythology, gods, gods are what? They're immoral. In Asian mythology, gods are mischievous. So where did you get your understanding of a loving God? Only the God of the Bible is loving, kind, good, and forgiving. Now you've changed the entire framework of the conversation. Where do you come up with a loving God? You know what you came up with it? You're an image-bearer of that God of love. Deep inside of you, you know there has to be somewhere. But you're still struggling with many questions, and that's okay. Those are legitimate questions. But you have to at least know, where does that come from? You didn't just pull it out of thin air. You didn't get it from Greek or Asian mythology. It comes from the Scriptures, so you have the framework, and all, every question that comes up, that's the three things. You have to connect. I get it. I get it. Me too. Then you have to challenge it lovingly and kindly. And then you have to comfort by getting them back to where? The gospel. Because remember, what have we said over and over over? Only when the plot line of your life is in Christ will you come to a happy ending that's it so we have to ultimately get him back to that you ultimately get him back to a sinner in need of a Savior you get him always back to that I always get back to that but you can't lead with that you have to lead you have to connect at a heart level how can a loving God great question I'm with you it's unloving and it just seems uncaring it's, it seems unreasonable but how did you come up with a loving God? Where did you, where did you get that? Because all of the gods that I hear about are not loving. They're really messed up. The only one that I know that is loving and kind, and, and for, it's in the Bible, okay? So what's your goal? Work through questions and, and just keep working through scenarios, because I'm doing it live. All the time. And that's what you have to do in order to be comfortable and know that you don't need answers to everything. You're just walking through conversations at a heart level. Right? We talked about a couple things on the objections answered a couple weeks ago. How, how can there be so much evil, pain, and so, right? So we work through all these. But this is a real, real, because what are they generally speaking about? My Jewish neighbor. My Hindu friend. My gay Relative. That's legit. And if you can't connect at a heart level, you don't belong in the conversation. Gone are the days that hey, they're on the way to hell and that's the end of it. You, you're you you do not you have no seat at the table. You haven't earned it. You have no right to be there. Yeah, what you said is true. Because that is a question I get asked. So what you're telling me is my 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 gay son is going to hell. That's legit. You have to know how to navigate that and talk through that. You have to get back to what? You've got to connect. You've got to be able to then challenge. Then you have to be able to comfort. What do we know about homosexuality? It certainly does nothing to advance human flourishing. You can switch the metaphors and how it's defined. We know it, does not, we, we, it can't do anything for human flourishing. So if that were the way that, that the world, forget God, the world designed it, then the world has designed it to an ultimate end because it can't flourish. It can't reproduce. So that doesn't make sense. So now can we talk? Yes, because no, why now? Because now you have their attention. Now, now you can talk. And, and people, when they say to me, so you're telling me that my, my, my gay son is going to hell because he's, he's gay? No. No, the Bible doesn't say that. It's always the sin beneath the sin. God bless you. What's the sin beneath the sin? What was the sin in the Garden of Eden? Pride. Pride. So you're able to frame it in a way that allows you to connect at a heart level. These are real issues. And they're not, listen, they're not going away. Why? The stuff that you read in the scriptures that are abhorrent to God are as normal as they could be today. You're the one that's Odd for what you believe. The world is changing overnight. And it's going to continue to change. And you have to be able to speak into the culture. Okay? So move from here. Watch this. This is important. Ready for this? So now, now we've gotten to this loving God. So now here, here's the framework. We're going to take this out of, out of uh, a writing from C.S. Lewis. Pro, I think it's in The Problem of Pain. We just talked about connecting with a God of love. So now we're going to use his framework for taking them deeper and deeper at a heart level. Because they're looking for a God of love. Yes? Okay. Ready for this? Watch this. This is beautiful. I've used this one many times. You asked for a loving God. You have one. The consuming fire himself, the love that made the world persistent as the artist's love for his work. Pause. What does that mean? Doesn't anyone do any art? Yeah, of course. You work on a piece of art. You want it marred? You want it flawed? You want it of course you don't. So what does Lewis say? You want a loving God? You have a loving God. Like an artist loves his work. And then he keeps going. Watch how this builds. This is beautiful. This is so disarming. And it connects at the deepest level of the heart. Provident and vulnerable as a father's love for a child. You've got a child. You let the child just keep heading over the cliff till he goes over? Or do you step in and stop? You stop him. Why? Because you know what's best. So as an artist loves his work and a father loves his child, stay with us. Watch this. Jealous, inexorable, exacting as love between the sexes. How this should be, I do not know, Lewis says. It passes reason to explain why any creatures, not to say creatures such as we, should have a value so prodigious in their creator's eyes. You want a loving God? You have one. What's wrong with a God who gives you rules and regulations and tells you how it is best to live? It's an artist with his work and a father with his child. You have that. Why does that make the hair on the back of your neck stand up? You've never thought through it. That's why. Your goal is to get your audience to think through what it is they think they believe Does love, does love allow you to do whatever you want to do? Husbands and wives, you're 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 free to go do whatever you want to (coughs) do, sleep with whoever you want to sleep with, live in any way that you of course not. It's ludicrous. No one believes that. You know exactly what love demands. There has to be a framework around that love. There has to be something that holds it in place. You have a God of love. And a God who's told you the best way to live. How would he know? Because he created you. Got it? These are powerful, powerful. And they're disarming. Then they know what they see you as? Reasonable. And open. And not narrow-minded and dogmatic and just messed up. Disciples making disciples. You ready? We're not calling people to a life of rules, rituals, and religion. We are calling people to a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to me carefully. Most everyone that you speak to, do you know what they believe your faith is? Say it. Rules, rituals, and that's all. That's all they've. Know. Some grew up in the church. Some have heard enough about us. Some have watched the way that we live, and that's all they know. We're not calling people to that. What are we calling them to? The one thing that every human heart desires. A love relationship. How many artists throughout the history of of, of the world of music and and art have painted and drawn and sung about love? Why? Because it's the deepest desire of every human heart. Every one of us desires to say, you have that in a loving God. In a right relationship with Christ, that is available to you. Okay? So we have to make it clear what we're calling them to. Now, I'm gonna give you something here that's important, and this is deep, but it's real simple because this is gonna go after this is gonna speak to a couple hearts in particular. Speaking to mine back in the day. Ready for this? Ever heard of IQ and EQ? (laughs) Little Joe certainly has. Listen to this. You need to really get this intelligence quotient and an emotional quotient. Let me give it to you in simple language. Book smarts, street smarts. What's the most important in evangelism? Because where most people get messed up in evangelism is they think, I just don't know enough. I've been listening to this guy for the last 10 weeks. I can't remember all this stuff. So swimming in my mind. I'm not gonna remember any of this stuff. Eh, you don't need to remember this. You don't need a PhD. What's the now? Listen, it's not either or; it's both and. You have to have both. But what's the most important today? Okay, let's break it down. Logos, logos is what. In the beginning was the word. Logos is word. So it's a word you speak. It's what you say. It's what comes out of your mouth. What's the other two components? Let me show it to you on the screen. Make it easy. Let me show you the two. Ready? Take a look. How do people choose to believe? What you say. You have what you say. That's the logos. You have pathos. The way I make you feel. How do you make someone feel when you speak to them? And you have the ethos. The way I live. My character. How do people choose to believe someone? If you think it's simply based on what they say or what you're saying, you're not even in the game. What you do speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you say. And your kids know that. And mine certainly have over the last 22 for Brock. And he watched his father say one thing and live another way. And saw how unattractive I made my God. If we're not willing to see our own brokenness and willing to grow and change, we have no right to speak to anyone about this God. We have to have the words. You have to speak. Right? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. But the days of being dogmatic, and I know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you can't connect at a heart level, see, why is that a good word for you? You don't need to go to school, you don't need to read any more books. What did jesus say go and tell them what the lord has done for you go tell them tell them with a heart that beats for christ and breaks for humanity those three things have to come together but you know what i think has done the most damage to the church the way that we have lived the duplicitous kind of life saying one thing and living in another way and that's the key in understanding. How, how, do, how does somebody feel around you when you speak to them? That's getting back to that heart connection. I understand how you feel. I feel, felt, found. I felt the same way until I found this out. I'm with you. I connect with you. I, I, I feel the same pain that you feel. That's the key in understanding how all of this fits together. Okay? So how do people choose to believe? They're going to connect at a heart level. Ready for this? Now we're going to put all three together. Ready? This is it. It's our final word. And then you're on your own. Because 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.5. Ready for all three put together? Because our gospel came to you not simply with words. What are words? Say logos. Okay, so that's the words, right? So our gospel didn't come to you just in words. We didn't just speak it. But also with power... With the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, what's that? Pathos, deep conviction, my heart is beating for this truth, but we're still not done, and you know how we lived among you for your sakes, ethos, the character. He didn't speak from some ivory tower. He lived among the people that he ministered, just like Christ. Christ lived among the sinners and ministered to them everywhere he went. IQ, you don't need a whole lot of that. And I think God has made that clear to us. Most of us don't have much of that. I don't have much of that. But EQ, I, I, I got a little bit of that. All of you have that. That's, that's, that's a good thing. People want to connect at a heart level. Invest your life. Final picture. There it is. So what is the way forward for evangelism? It's a cross-shaped life. We have to be willing to meet physical and spiritual needs. Connecting with people at... The deepest possible level in, in, in both aspects. And know that evangelism, for the most part, you can run into somebody and you can tell them they're a sinner in need of a savior. And, but let, let me just make this point. I'll take one more minute. The church has seen countless, I'll just use the word countless, professions of faith. Haven't you seen many? In one year, two years, three years, they're gone. Where'd they go? When we're trying to force people into a a profession of faith, get them to that end point, most of the time it's just words. Today, sometimes this takes, not only does it take a longer period of time, it might take 10 or 15 different people. Most evangelism today happens in community, relation. That's why you invite people. You say, well, man, that, that, they, they don't live a good life. I don't think they should be here. You missed the whole point. That's exactly who's supposed to be here. You invite sinners to come because we're all sinners. And in the context of community, hearts begin to get transformed. They watch the way you live. And then you go to where they are. And you engage into their lives. I know many Christians go, I couldn't do that. I couldn't. God can't use you you have this little zone that you're comfortable, then God can't use you. Jesus made it clear, you have to go where they are. Don't fear where they are and what they do. Go and minister at a heart level and watch God provide the increase. That's evangelism. So we're going to put this on the board in the next month or two. We're going to start the workshop. So here's here's my encouraging challenge to you. What we want, hopefully, everybody in the church at some point to be able to feel comfortable enough, and we'll give a little, not that it's a big deal, but a little certificate that, that says you've completed the materials and you're a facilitator. And I want you to start teaching this with me. I want you to start teaching it here in the church, teaching it outside the church, teaching it everywhere that you go. You're a facilitator. But there's a requirement in order for you to actually get the certificate to be a facilitator. You want to know what the requirement is? Every one of you who have been here. You have to evangelize me. Anytime, any place, anywhere, you've got to come up to me at some, and you've, you can approach me as someone you know, a friend, you can approach me as a family member, or you can approach me as somebody you've never met before. But in order for you to get the certificate, you've got to evangelize me. That't mean you've got to get me saved. That's, that's not easy to do, But you've got to evangelize me. I want you to be comfortable enough to come and talk about it. And you'll be comfortable enough going out there and talking about it. And as we keep walking through, and every time we do a a workshop, there'll be more things that we're gonna keep adding and changing why. We wanna continue to stay out in front of the culture because the culture is continually changing. So anytime you see me, anytime you're ready, bring me that gospel. And thank you for this time that we've been together. We will, uh, next Thursday, we're done for the semester. We'll be back on May 8th. Beautiful seminar for Dr. Ron Kovac, so make sure you sign up for that. That'll be a big night. Mary Beth, we talked. We'll do some desserts. We might even do some food too. We'll figure it out. But that'll be a big night. But next next week, Thursday night, we want everyone to come to our our. Monday, Thursday, our, our Thursday communion service. We have some kids who are taking their first communion, so we're hoping for the whole church to be out for that. Next Thursday at 7 o'clock. We didn't put it on a lot of the promotional material because it's primarily a service just for the church, the family, but we want the whole place filled. A lot of these kids will take their first communion for the very first time, and uh, all different ages of them. We're excited. A couple of them are sitting in here right now. So that's a big night, big night. So we'll have a very, very special message, uh, Thursday night message, Monday, Thursday message. Uh, we'll probably talk about this scapegoat, the lamb. But it'll be a neat uh, seven to eight, in and out. So next Thursday night, let's pray. Father, thank you again for this semester. Thank you for all of those that you were able to bring here to the church. We just thank you for the privilege to share Jesus uh, to to all those we come in contact with, but in a way that's that's loving and compassionate, and kind, and, and 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 really considerate, and really wanting to know more about those that we speak to. Lord, bless the time, the little bit of time we have left tonight, and just Keep us focused on you and the gospel. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. amen. All right, men to the fellowship hall, and ladies, stay.